on my gravestone it will say he watched more <laughs> kickboxer than the people that made kickboxer i don't want my cheese puffs to get moldy and, and old and stay <laughs> oh i've moved on to my, my little gummy snacks now uh, i'm glad my concept has grasped me, so <laughs> the hair is long and curly in this movie along with some good special effects i might add Hello everyone, welcome to Movie Freaks, the only podcast on the net that also can't see the curvature of the earth because we record in the center where it's hollow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Eric Marner. I'm Eugene Weaver. I'm Jessic. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. All right. Good. You? Yeah. Good? Yeah. Yep, getting better. Getting better. (laughs) Uh, We've all made it to the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, if I could just make it to the end of the week, that would be good. If we could go ahead. If we can make it to the end of the show, it'll be a miracle. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) One step at a time. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's start off the show like we always do with the roulette, where we force each other to watch movies on our queue so uh, we can uh, find those gems in the rough and hopefully avoid the grenades. Uh, This episode, Jess has the pole position. So she gets to go first. Uh, let's review last week's movies. When Animals Dream, Curve, and The Veil. Uh, Miss Hicks, lead the way. All right. So I had The Veil, which starred Lily Rabe, Jessica Alba, and Thomas Jane. Um, not bad for a straight-to-Netflix dump from Blumhouse. Uh, pretty good set of characters there, or uh, actors there. Um, it... The basic plot is Lily Rabe is the lone survivor of a sort of Jim Jones cult uh, community that was run by Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane claimed that he had the cure to death and could come back to life. Um, And obviously we see how that ended up if she's the lone survivor. So as her, um, Jessica Alba and her brother are a news or a, a television crew and they're doing a documentary about this. So they go back out to this place called The Veil, hence the title, where the uh, cult was. And from what I, I, I went in with really low expectations because I am hit or miss on Blumhouse theatrical releases. So their straight to video stuff kind of makes me wary. But I was um, I was pretty impressed by this. It it um, started out I kind of had to roll my eyes because Thomas Jane, who is unrecognizable, I should mention, he he's wearing he's got like long kind of scraggly hair. He's sort of got like a Manson esque look, and he's wearing these aviator sunglasses the whole time. But it doesn't look or sound like him at all because I see Thomas Jane and I see like the Punisher. I really and, like, like Thomas Jane. The, I do. Yeah. And just like a bigger presence, but in this one, he's very like laid back, kind of hippie cult guy. Um, mm. but I it it kind of surprised me. I mean, I for having I really like Lily Rabe, you know, from American Horror Story. I thought she really did well with that. She was on another show called The Whispers, but I haven't watched it. Um, but generally everything was pretty awesome. But I was wary at the beginning because. Thomas Jane's character is named Jim Jacobs, and I thought that that was such uh, like a like oh yeah. really yeah, and I was like please don't be. I thought they were just going for a straight sort of retelling of that story, and I was like oh god, this is going to be a really painful like ninety minutes or however. And There's I have a lot to, of like, red flags about the setup of that. Film. I mean, with yeah. the actors involved and in that it wasn't theatrically released mm. and. But the thing is, is once it gets more into the supernatural element, 
it gets really interesting. And the um, the kills in it are actually pretty. They use pra- primarily practical effects. I didn't see any CGI, so oh, that's good. always wow, a plus really? in my book. Yeah. If it was, it was just like a little enhancements here and there. Right. I post because I posted the trailer a while back, and it looked like there was a. Well, I don't. Maybe I'm mixing it up with another movie, but I thought there was a fair amount of ooh ghostly CGI looking stuff. But there yeah. is like one ghost that's that's kind of CGI, but as far as the blood and stuff goes, it's all practical. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. And which which is always gives gives the movie a, a more points in my book. Yeah, and I. Time. It, I really like the how it ended up going in a different direction than just a straight retelling of like a Jim Jones esque story. Because how many more of those do we need? The last one I saw that I actually really liked was The Sacrament, but I don't need to see mm. any more. Really, which was great. I love. Yeah, Sacrament. that movie's generally un- unnerving to me. Yeah. Oh, me too. Now, Jess, did you notice in the beginning uh, because this is a Blumhouse movie? Mm-hmm. Did did it say Blumhouse uh, Tilt on? Uh, yeah, I have okay. no idea what that is. I meant to research it before we did this, but I'm, you know, I'm me, so I didn't. <laughs> and, oh, good, uh, well, and the reason I bring that up is because my movie, Curve, is also a Blumhouse movie, and it was Blumhouse Tilt. And so I'm wondering if there was a, a series of these Blumhouse movies that were all just dumped onto Netflix, because yours is and mine is as well. Yeah, if it's like a sister company or something. Yeah. Because the, uh, the other one that I watched, the one that kind of, well, not kind of, it ripped off uh, the French movie Inside, uh, okay. I, The Vision, or what, I, what it sucked. But yeah. that was also, <laughs> that was another Blumhouse tilt thing. So I'm guessing that they're, I, I'm not sure if that's like a, maybe a million dollars or less budget, and it's under I this. I don't know. Are they that big that they have a subdivision? They're I, pretty big now. Yeah, they are. Point. Yeah, they. I mean, they've had their hands in a lot of the big movies recently. They have ties to James Wan and all that. So, um, but but back to the veil because we can wrap this up real quick. I um I it is it the best movie I've ever seen? No, but it's certainly worth watching, especially if you if you like cult stories with or supernatural. If you're just a horror fan like Eugene and I are, who have to watch everything. Yep, no I'll definitely be watching that. Um, yep. it, it's, it's not a bad way to spend an afternoon, really. I would give it a pat, I would give it a thumbs up. Cool. I'll keep it on the queue. Me too. Uh, okay. Uh, my turn. When Animals Dream is an 85 minute movie from somewhere I was going to look up, but then I didn't. Uh. Woohoo. We're really on the ball tonight. <laughs> yeah. Let's just make wild assumptions about the movie and claim their facts. Okay. Um, it's a Swedish, Danish movie, probably. Uh, <laughs> Sonia Sewell, Lars Mikkelsen. Interesting. Mikkelsen. Oh, maybe Mads. Really? Maybe Mads brother or something. Like Danish. Yeah. Sonia Richter, Jones, Alexander Arnby, uh, director. Boy, I'll tell you, th- this movie, uh, do you remember Let the Right One In? I'm sure you do. Vampire film. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much. Yeah. Take that movie, replace the, uh, vampire with a werewolf, and there you go. And... All right. That should be all you need to know. I, but significantly I, shorter, I'm seeing here, at an hour and 24 minutes. Eight, yeah. I, I can't remember. How long was Let the Right One In? Was that Longer than that. Okay. Yeah, I felt long. like it was longer. Well, that's a plus here, in my opinion. And, oh, and, definitely. And it it's definitely has that pacing of that movie where it's slower, but it's deliberate, and the filmmaking, like the, the technicals, are also top-notch the way they were in Let the Right One In, <clears throat> that you don't care. I, I was fully engaged the entire time. Uh, totally dug this movie. I, it's bordering on gem. I mean, it's, it's, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Not full gem, but the, the way that Let the Right One In is 
a kick-ass movie. I love that movie. I don't know where you guys... Maybe you guys hate it. I don't know where you stand. No, there. I really love it. Oh, that movie's that's a fantastic. Cool movie. Okay. And, it's, and it's an hour and 55 minutes, by the way. Okay. Mm. Well, this one's shorter, and I don't know, man. I, it, I have not really anything negative to say about this movie. I'm not giving it a perfect score or anything. Um, it, how's it, like, on a, on a scale, what would you rate uh, uh, the transformation? And is there a transformation? Not really. It's mm-hmm. kind of... But it makes sense with the way the film goes. Okay. I also was looking for that. That's a staple of a werewolf movie. Right. Um, it's not that kind and of I, werewolf. And I judge harshly when there isn't one or worse is a bad one. But if it if it fits in with their narrative, then I can... I didn't have it. any problem with it. Wow. And I would be surprised if you guys did. Now, obviously, we all want a giant hulking werewolf. But that's right. not kind of the way this movie is. That in the same way, let the right one in. We never got too crazy on the vampire shenanigans. I mean, there was stuff, but it was always off screen or off camera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even with the the uh, uh, okay, here's another comparison. Um, with that movie, it's not kill, 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 kill. All I mean, it's you wait a half an hour. There's a kill. Maybe there's another one along the way, and then there's a big kind of thing at the end, and you're done. And that is true of both movies. Okay. okay. Um, I, I, when I make that comparison, it's in a very positive light. I really like Let the Right One In, and I would totally pick up this movie on a Blu-ray. All right, well, I'm gonna put that on a priority. But again, with the slower pace, you guys could go the other way. I'm always No, I like a good slow burn. It's, but it's, again, 85 minutes, so it's not that slow. Right. It's just a little more deliberately paced. Yeah. So, kind of like, a bit more like a Ty West type movie, because a lot of his movies are deliberately paced, which I love. Yeah, I would, yeah, that would be a decent comparison. Again, I'm not going to be able to fully discuss this until you guys see it, because I don't want to tell you too much about it. Okay. Um, that's it. Uh... Let's move on to another thing that rapper Bob cannot see. Eugene. <laughs> okay, next up is Curve. And this <laughs> this is uh, the Blumhouse Tilt Deal, uh, directed by Lane Softly. And, uh, you know, I probably have a very similar review uh, as what Jess did with uh, The Veil. In that this, is, this isn't a great movie, but I was entertained. It was with the end credits... Uh, without the end credits, it would be like 75 minutes long. And it's basically a new take on The Hitcher, kind of, is the best thing, the closest thing to compare it to. Um, girl's vehicle breaks down on the road. This the guy comes along to help her, and because he does, she offers him a ride, and then he turns out to be a crazy guy. And mm-hmm. then it's kind of a cat and mouse thing back and forth. There is some, honestly, there's barely enough story for the 75 minute runtime. So there's, there are certain things that she does that's like, no sane person would do that. But I was still entertained. I'm like, okay, I, you know, I get it. They have to get to 75 minutes to make it a complete, a movie. And that's why certain things that don't seem like they should happen in real life do. But I, I went along with it. These are my, like, I, it's forgettable, but I enjoyed it. I gave it, I give it a pass. It's not great. But for a one-time deal, it was good. The performances were good. There is a couple of uh, nice uh, gore scenes, not over, not overdone or anything. But it was there was some good practical effects in it too. Um, the end gets a little bit out there, and it, again with the whole 
let's build this up to be a big finale showdown. And it's like, people wouldn't do that in real life. Like the, the right. showdown, yeah. that, that would not happen in real life, but it's a movie and it's a cheap movie at that. And it, yeah, for what it is, it works. So cool. I will say that the, the, the crazy guy, uh, he, he definitely nails the despicable, like vile, he spouts off completely horrible vile stuff, uh, to taunt the girl. And uh, I dug that, that it's, it wasn't just that I'm crazy and I'm going to kill you. He really gets in depth with, you know, talking pretty explicit with her. So I'm like, Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> So anyway, but, you're like I like that. That was good. Yeah, I like okay. that. That's that's great. Yeah, I, but yeah, curve. It was worth one watch. Uh, you know, it's. I'll probably in a year from now, I'll probably be looking through Netflix and I'll stumble across this and think, did I see that movie? Or <laughs> so and then I'll start it and be like, I'm still not sure if I've seen this. So a little forgettable. <laughs> it's forgettable, but it was fun. But I, but about the fifth watch on Blu-ray, you'll be like, I like this. Movie. That's that's really good. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, maybe top horror of 2015 or 16, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it's like cigarettes. You know, you have to smoke a couple packs, and I'm like, okay, now I like cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. It's a, uh, it's a Pilsner uh, brew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it uh, sounds like we've all done uh, considerably better this time around. Oh, yes. This was... Yeah. Yes, but, I, definitely, definitely better than last time. But I'm maybe I'm just cynical. But I'm just like, oh, what the hell am I going to pick this time? So uh, sorry to those of you who like to hear us suffer, but yeah, we like yes. the movies we pick this time. <laughs> yep. Yes, no, that's great though. Go watch these movies. You know, because I've literally heard no one talk about any of these movies. Yeah, yeah, and they all obviously we all gave them passes. Some to, you know, obviously Eric, yours sounds like the best of the bunch. Jess, yeah. yours comes in at number two and mine is three, but I, compared to some of the shit we've been watching lately, that this was good. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it too. The, the bar was lowered so far last week that I literally could have tripped. <laughs> Anything could have been better. Face full of a biff pile of shit and I would have been like, yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a pony in here somewhere. Um, yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next part of the roulette where we sell each other the movies. Jess, you have the lead. Go ahead. Yes, well, I had a difficult time with picking my roulette. <laughs> Man. It was an interesting afternoon. <laughs> but, I, but I ended up with three things. Um, so uh, the uh, first one is Frank, which is always up uh, very recently, right? I think like two shows ago yeah. or something I threw this. So, yeah, it's that weird thing about the guy who's in the band and wears a giant head. And we keep skipping over it, but I keep picking it. So, it's Frank. Michael Michael Fassbender. All, all three of us have put this on the roulette at some point or another. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my second one is H.R. Geiger's Dark Star documentary. Um, it's all about his art. It's been sitting in my queue forever, and I know I'm going to like it. I don't know really why I haven't watched it yet, but I thought I'd throw it out there so that one of you can watch it and just reassure me that I should watch it, I guess. <laughs> yep. And uh, the last one is just kind of uh, – uh, I'm I'm honestly surprised that Eugene hadn't seen it, but um, Mandingo. I was too. Mandingo from 1975, um, a slave owner in the 1840s trains one of his slaves to be a bare-knuckle fighter. This is um, – Essentially, one of the things that Django is drawn for, from, obviously. 
Um, it stars James uh, Mason, Suzanne George, Perry King, and Richard Ward. Um, and yeah, it just it's one of those sort of classic. I, I can't say that it's black exploitation, but maybe kind of like a high, like a, like how the Night Porter is highbrow Nazi exploitation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is so yeah. Mandang- Mandingo can be highbrow black exploitation. Um, is this yes. a new release on Netflix, or has this been on for a while? Uh, I think it's recently, like within the last month or so, been added on there. Okay. All right, those are my three. Okay, I w- yeah, I was pretty surprised. I didn't know that one was on Netflix. And I've heard of it uh, many times. I just haven't got around to watching it. I was also surprised Eugene hadn't seen it. Interesting. I clicked on it on Netflix and uh, under the description, it says what it's about. And then it says starring and then genres. And then underneath it says this movie is controversial. <laughs> oh, gee, I can't Ooh. imagine why. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, really. this... uh, okay, my uh, turn. Um, first up, Charlie's Country. One and a third star. An aboriginal man retreats to the remote wilderness to practice traditional ways, but the modern world soon catches up to him with a vengeance. Uh, That sounds kind of good to me. Maybe that was kind of maybe my uh, longest reach on here. Uh, Next up, uh, two and three quarter stars. Oh, we're raising in star quality. (laughs) The Golden Cane Warrior, because I've, you will find out why later, but I've been diving on some of these Asian movies that populate my queue. A martial arts master angers two of her protégés when she selects a third to take her post and the legendary weapon that comes with it. Uh, Always looking for those gems in the kung fu rough. And lastly, four and a little tip of a star, uh, Genius Party. And this got good reviews from a buddy of mine online as well. Seven animated shorts cover everything from a quirky zombie tale to a sweet adolescent romance to a series of dazzling abstractions. It's animation. I'm totally in for it. Uh, Eugene. Okay. So, uh, my list of movies here, let me just get them pulled up here. First up is The Diabolical. And, you know, that cover is just great, isn't it, guys? (laughs) <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, here I, love I will you, say I that, love how you sell your movies. You're just like the cover. The cover doesn't look that awful. Right? <laughs> watch my shit, so I it looks like so, a Hollow Man cover. Is what yeah, it well, looks I, like. I, I I like Allie Larder. She's in this, and I do like her. Uh, and that is actually she is probably the main reason why I why I threw this on the roulette because. I like her, so... (laughs) Anyway, the movie! So Eugene Eugene picked a movie for us to watch because he likes the actress in it. Yes, honestly... If if the veil can get a pass with that cast and crew, then come on. I mean, you never know. I'm I'm sure that one of you is going to watch that movie. (laughs) Probably. uh, Terrorized by unexplained disturbances and horrific visions in her home, a young widowed mother turns to her scientist boyfriend for help. Young widowed so, mother, so young mother, so yeah, young woman, kids, ghost. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Eugene movie. Okay. Para, next up is Para Elisa. Uh, this is only an hour and fourteen minutes. So there's that. Um, uh, let's see, a recent graduate tries to earn money babysitting, but gets hired by a strange old lady to care for a deranged woman who sees her as a toy. 
I'm not sure why, but I really did think that that was a cool sounding premise. Mm-hmm. It um, is. Girls and girl and kids. Again. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, lastly, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just giving not, you a hard time, but that pair of Lisa does look like it's probably a scary ass movie. Yeah, I, yeah, that synopsis sounds cool. And this one here, uh, I think I, I read about this one on a, uh, or I, no, I'm sorry, I heard about this one on another podcast that I listened to, The Overnighters. Uh, this documentary follows, wait a minute. What? No. What the hell? Yeah, hold on. Uh, so there is. For a brief moment, oh, of technical difficulty. <laughs> technical difficulty. So there is The Overnighters and The Overnight. The Overnight. There you go. Okay. Um, when a couple new to LA tries to adopt, adapt and make friends, they arrange a play date for their son, unaware that there are hosts have games uh, in mind for them. And this is Adam Scott. And I really think that Adam Scott is quite funny. And uh, Jason Schwartzman is in this as well. Uh, this one here, I will, regardless if any of you watch it, I'm going to watch this movie because it looks like it's going to be very, very uncomfortable and awkward. And I like that. So, uh, <laughs> but that, I think that's going to be a good movie. So it is a good cast. There is also the, uh, girl from, uh, was it the girl from the league or the girl from, uh, I'd have to look here. Uh, it's always sunny. Mm. I think she's in that too. Well, the reviews have a lot of reviews been saying that this is very awkward and uncomfortable and a very black comedy. And so I, I'm going to check it out sometime, but those are my movies. Oh, it's the a girl from Orange is the New Black. Mm. Oh, okay. The main, main one from there. 79 minutes. Yeah. Hey, at the very least, my movies are, I think, pretty much all really short. So... <laughs> so at least there's that. At least there's that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I picked short movies. Okay, Jess, you get to pick first. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Para Lisa. Okay, okay. Because it does sound cool, and hey, I wanted to have it on my roulette too. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, my turn, boy. Um, I was I, I really need to see Mandingo because uh, I need to get it checked off. That's one of those lifetime list things that I need to get rid of because uh, mm-hmm. I've heard it brought up many a time. But it's so damn long. So I'm gonna go with Frank so that I never have oh to see my it God. Again. <laughs> a stupid ass roulette. <laughs> Hmm. Now here's the thing with this Mandingo movie. Uh, I, I I'm just looking. <laughs> it is bloody long. Well, it I read uh, just one of the reviews on uh, Netflix states that it is an edited an edited version that they are showing on Netflix. Oh. Oh, and that scares me away immediately. So you want to go for a longer version? Well, more than likely, what they're cutting is probably stuff that I like. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but. Every single Grindhouse documentary I've ever watched has talked about Mandingo. Well, let's see. Okay, so here I'm, I am on IMDb. What's the difference between the international version and the U.S. DVD and Blu-ray by Legend Films and Paramount? Um, so the, uh, the this version on Netflix has some more nude scenes as well as some more violent content. Wait, it does oh, I'm have? Sorry, no, it's, that stuff is cut. 127 minutes already. Ah, damn. 127 minutes and they caught the really good parts. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to probably have to hold on. Eugene's going to hold out for the Blu-ray yeah. from some U- UK or yep. the 157 yeah. minute version. <laughs> I do want to see it, though. because it, it... Or rather the 128 minute yes. version. Yes, <laughs> with that extra minute, that extra Thank minute. You. <laughs> um, okay, so if that's the case, H.R. Geiger documentary thingy is what I'll watch. All you guys right. are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, By far, I picked the best shit, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm over here with three and four star stuff, and you guys are like one and two. <laughs> hey, yeah, do- Mandingo had like four and a half stars. From who? I don't know. <laughs> no, Mandingo has one and one quarter. Oh, well, I'm looking on IMDb. Oh, user reviews. Thank you. <laughs> Where do you think all the reviews are coming from on Netflix? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, one and a quarter. It's... <laughs> uh, but my HR Geiger, that's... Uh, I, mean, I'm, I can't imagine what? that's not going to be good, right? I mean... Well, I watched uh, about 15 minutes of it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'll watch the rest. I, it was like scenes from an old folks home. That's kind of what it was going on. It, it was like, oh, I don't want to see him old and decrepit and uh but Do we do I, No, I, I I'd finish it. I I just haven't got around okay, to it. Well, I will I'll take the ball on that one. Okay. So next episode we have uh Frank and Dark Star HR Geiger movie uh and para elisa mm-hmm. we will see how that goes um okay let's move on to our second segment which tonight is going to be uh an interview that with uh pga starks the dir- one of the directors of volumes of blood that eugene was able to catch up with him and uh do a little bit a bit of a sit down and uh, get some info about uh, about him and who he is in that movie and and all that, so I'm going to pass it off to past Eugene. And here you go. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Movie Freaks. I'm here with PJ Starks, the uh, director of Volumes of Blood. How you doing, PJ? I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually, I'm, for the first film, I'm just one of several directors. Okay. So okay. I can't take all the credit. Gotcha. Who? So want to want to chime in on who the other directors of this movie are? And actually, just now that now that you're on the show, explain just a little bit about uh, what the movie is and uh, everybody that participated in it, as far as the directors go. Okay. Um, well, the film essentially is it's an anthology piece, and I've been wanting to do an anthology for several years now, and nothing ever really coalesced, and then. Um, I started working with with a with a new group of individuals locally, um, like Eric Huskison, Lisa Duval. Uh, Eric is now my business partner for our new production company, and um, and then Lisa does all the special effects for the different various projects that I do. So, um, so things kind of fell into place, and then um, I had started this program at the local library called Unscripted. It's this event where directors bring their short films in and they, they show uh, these films and they do like a live audio commentary and things of that nature. And then, excuse me, we wanted to expand on that project and we did the unscripted film school, which then kind of opened things up to, uh, sorry, I got distracted, but it opened up the opportunity for people in the community who are interested in this and want to get involved to come in and, uh, and be a part of it. So that's what we did. And then, 
what happened from that was the first unscripted film school series went so well that the guy at the time, Jim Blanton, who was in charge of the library, got with me and said, we need to do something else with the film school, something bigger, something better. Well, I'd been wanting to do a uh, an anthology, like I said, for a while. So I came up <laughs> when I should have been working. Um, I was instead coming up with the concept for what was Volumes of Blood, and that was basically um, with the first Unscripted Film School, we did two films simultaneously on the same night. Oh, but wow. with okay. the new movie, what the new program, what I wanted to do was is I wanted to shoot multiple short films over a period of months, uh, utilizing you know local crew, local cast, and uh, regional crew, regional cast, and then this, and the same with directors, and uh, and basically it would be a horror film because horror is my my I've done several other genres, but that's what I always come back to because that's okay. my real love, and um, so. Uh, I came up with this whole concept that it was a, this whole story with several other stories involved, and I and I got um, uh, I got with another local writer, um, and we penned several scripts, and then we kind of put the whole thing together, and then I came up with a bunch of extra added on material, and then that's what we put together, and we came up with, and that was volumes of blood. Okay, and uh, so. From that, what I did at that point, once we had the script done, is I reached out to all the regional directors that I know and um, have worked with or have wanted to work with, um, like Jacob Belinsky, for one, is a really good friend of mine, and I've worked with him on, on several things, his most recent film. He's working on one now, but the one before that was like Three Tears on Bloodstained Flesh, and I had some involvement in that as an associate producer. and. So I brought him on board and wrote a script specifically for him. He's very stylized and he has a, he has a, a lot of film qualities and things as a director and as a visual person in the visual arts, things that I like. So uh-huh. I knew he would really come through and make something cool. And then um, like another director, Nathan Thomas Milliner, he's from Louisville. He's a, he's an artist and uh, he works for like Screen Factory and NECA but I reached out to him because I've wanted to work with him. He's done some directing, and I knew that he wanted to do some more. So I reached out to him, and then, um, then kind of along the way, I, I talked with other directors, and, and of course, it, it some of it dealt with scheduling and things of that nature. But ultimately, um, I got everybody that I wanted to work with, and then I ended up directing one of the shorts. I wanted to do something a little different. It was a ghost story, and it was in, it, it, it ended up being in black and white. That wasn't my original idea, but there's no dialogue in it. It's all done with action and story and atmosphere, and, and I'm kind of like a big fan of Kevin Smith, so usually my, uh, my scripts have a lot of dick and fart jokes in it, yeah. but I wanted to <laughs> do something a little bit different and direct something that had no dialogue in it. And you are, and you're also an actor in the movie. Yeah, you're also an actor in the movie too. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I wouldn't say I was an actor, but uh, I am in the film. I don't, I don't really consider myself an actor. Um, I prefer to be behind the camera, but there's this whole uh, meta side to it, and uh, it, it. I don't want to give the twist away. Sure, sure. A twist to it, and that's kind of where I come into the come into play and, and yeah so I, so I ended up doing some acting and I was going to ask you as far as like shooting locations uh, what what made you choose the uh, the library and like where do you get your actors from 
and and things like that, and kind of the the ideas behind the short stories. Uh, okay. So that's kind of I, I would kind of just kind of roll off of that, and then definitely wanted because I'm a huge horror fan. I definitely wanted to hit on the practical effects that you used in the uh, in the movie, cool. and I'm not sure at how involved you were with that, but I definitely wanted to talk. Oh about yeah, that. I was I was very involved. Okay, good. Well, yeah. So so I mean, if you want, you can start with. Uh, the shooting location. Obviously, you guys were shooting at night, and I'm I'm guessing I, I I'm not sure what the budget was for it, but you probably had to shoot at night due to uh, you know the library being closed, and you had access to the library right. and all that good stuff. Um. Well, as far as the shooting location being the library, um, we because we were shooting at the library, we we had some stipulations. Um, we could not shoot anytime they were open. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the only time we could actually roll camera was after they were closed. So the unfortunate side of things um, was that whenever we were actually shooting there, we couldn't do anything until they closed at, like, 6 o'clock. So then immediately at 6 o'clock, we would have to start getting the sets together, dressing the sets. Uh, for instance, um, Encyclopedia Satanica that was directed by Nathan Thomas Milner. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his called for, it took place on, it took place specifically on Halloween, just like the wraparound did. Okay. Um, so there was a bunch of Halloween decorations. We had to decorate the whole area as if it was Halloween. So as soon as the six, as soon as like six, six o'clock hit and we had to start moving, it was like, we had to spend that first hour decorating. Um, and so then we don't actually start shooting until maybe or till about seven, and then we would go all the way until about 1 or one thirty. when, at that point, we had to break everything down and start getting everything set up because their alarm system kicked on when we left there at 2 o'clock. So we had to be out of the building right before 2. So okay. it was very run and gun, um, which was the downside. The, good, the, the upside to it was, is, you know, we got access to a location that a lot of other independent directors and filmmakers, I haven't really seen them have access to. It brought some legitimacy to what we were doing because they're very well-respected and well-liked. So, of course, that brought a little bit more press and things um, for the project. So that was one of many reasons or, you know, multiple reasons why we ended up going with the library. Um, It was just an opportunity that fell into my lap and I couldn't pass it up. So. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, that that's interesting. Now, um, I, I I liked the fact that during the movie uh, there were numerous references to other horror movies. Um, yes. And I I was that something that you were a, like? Did you come up with some of those, or was that just strictly the scriptwriter? Or well, I um, like I, I co-wrote with Nathan and then Todd Martin. He was the other writer on the project and. Being that we're all horror fans, mm-hmm. um, we tried to get as many references in there as we could, and even um, I, I ended up writing the bulk of the segments. Um, and in doing so, I'm really big about nuances and, and putting things inside the script, whether it's uh, from a name to uh, um, there's several taglines from horror films throughout the movie on top of the direct references to their names. Um, so going into this project, it was always a bunch of 
lovers of the genre making a film for horror fans. So, so that was kind of the purpose behind that was, you know, referencing the, all the, all the things that had come before volumes of blood and kind of homaging them and, and giving them due credit. Because if it wasn't for a lot of these horror films, then obviously volumes of blood would never have come to fruition. So yeah. that was kind of our way of, tipping our hat to these films that had come before. Which immediately I picked up on uh, Pieces. That's one of my favorite slasher movies of all time. And I, I'm like, ah, nice. Someone else likes Pieces as well. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge 80s slasher fan. That Me was too. Kind of the, um, there's, there's even an 80s sequence in the movie that I ended up, it, it came later on in the film out of necessity um, to kind of to create a twist. But there is an 80s sequence. It's about three-minute sequence in the film. You can actually see part of it online. Um, but it's Murder, Death, Killer 3, Dead of Autumn. Okay. And uh, so we, for the film, I created essentially what is a faux 80s franchise that has become really popular later on, you know, very much like Halloween or Friday the 13th. And, yeah. Um, I even created this killer. And then uh, what happened... Like what's happening with that going into the little little spoiler for the sequel, we're actually expanding on that a little bit and we're giving we're taking that franchise and we're making it a little bit bigger and a little bit better. The faux franchise. Oh, cool. okay. The killer a name and giving the killer a backstory and things of that nature. And of course, I won't you how it plays out or how it actually plays into the film itself, the sequel. But we did take that one little three minutes at the beginning of Volumes of Blood, and we found a way to to create all this extra stuff. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do, like with the Volumes of Blood franchise, if you will. It's it's create a universe, very much like what Kevin Smith had done with you know the New Jersey trilogy and all the sure. all of those films. Yeah, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan as well. And in fact, my co-host Eric Marner, he is. Uh, that's one of his favorite uh, directors and speakers. So uh, yeah, Same here. yeah, we're big Kevin Smith fans. Uh, well, that's that's great. Uh, now, so as far as Volumes of Blood Two, are you you're currently filming right now? Uh, we're not filming yet. We start in March. Oh, okay. Uh, but we're in pre pre production right now. We've we've cast the entire film. Uh, the sequel is uh, it takes place. In the same universe as the first Volumes of Blood, but to a, to a degree, it's a standalone film. It has its own cast, its own stories, and it is a it is an anthology like the first movie. But this time around, we have seven films or seven short sequences and seven directors. I'm not one of them this time. I'm strictly producing okay. this go around. And uh, but it's called Volumes of Blood Horror Stories. Okay, and, uh, it takes place in a house about a couple who is um, looking to purchase and they decide they want to take some time and really uh, go floor by floor in this old home. And every floor they go to, they find something that catches their eye. And what happens is, is when they notice it and kind of question it, it jumps back in time over a period of 10 years and shows the horrible atrocities that have taken place within this house. Oh, I like, I like that. Uh... So that, that's the sequel. Yeah. Um, for volumes of blood, and then of course it 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 uh, the good thing about it is is it it's loosely tied to the first film. So there's things that if you've seen the first movie, you'll catch 
But if you've never seen the first film, you can watch the sequel and never even know that the first film ever even existed, but still be able to enjoy the movie without, you know, having yeah. it as a reference. Oh, that's great. Uh, it, that sounds really good. I am one of my favorite uh, types of horror movies is the anthology movie. Uh, I, everyone I've pretty much I've seen. I, I'm not sure if there's any that I have not seen. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you is because I'm like, ah, oh, volumes of blood. And that's an anthology movie, a horror movie. So I've got to see it. And I want <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of anthology movies, uh, just because you can pack so much into, uh, I don't want to say you can, you like, oh, you have to pad out an hour and a half long movie. You can just lean mean right. 30 minute movies on uh, pack them all together into one feature length movie. And they're, they're great. So, uh, I really like that. So as far as the special effects go, uh, especially the because right off the bat with Volumes of Blood, uh, it has that really extreme sequence that immediately I was like, oh, okay, here we go. So they they <laughs> they had they they did some cool stuff with some special effects here, practical effects. Um, did, did you guys like you hired someone special for that, or did was this just kind of a homemade type thing? Like, hey, let's just see what we can come up with. Or because I'm always intrigued with. Uh, with special effects and practical effects mainly CGI, not so much. I I see where right. it fits in with with you know technology, but I love practical effects and I love seeing them done well. And that was a really good sequence, along with some Thank other you. ones. Your movie's pretty gory, uh, so we, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the special effects are concerned, I mean, first first of all, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I don't mind. Uh, CGI if it's done right. Yeah. Um, if it's done poorly, which seems to be the case with a lot of horror films, then I'm not such a fan of it. Um, but going back to like what I said about being a huge fan of 80s slasher films, I'm a even bigger fan of practical effects because you know it's something tangible. It's something right there and, and you can see it it's not some dude running around in a skin tight green outfit with a stick and a silver ball on the end of it and, um, so going into this movie I flat out said we're, we're avoiding digital effects as much as we possibly can and I know that some filmmakers have said that in the past when they went into projects I, uh, the, the sequel to the, or the prequel I should say to The Thing is a great example like they had promised all these amazing practical effects and then in the end they went in and they covered them up with CGI and it just it didn't work so I was really disappointed when I left the theater I didn't hate the movie but I was really looking forward to you know mm. some of the, the effects and seeing things that you know that hadn't been done in a long time so going into this project that's what I wanted I wanted everything to be done practically yeah and i had met lisa duvall she's our, our special effects supervisor i met her at a, uh, we did a zombie night at unscripted and she showed up and her costume was fantastic and she ended up winning so after that i ended up working on a uh, like a promo for a zombie run so i brought her on board and she's always really been interested in special effects and makeup and things and she's she loves. She's one of those people. She loves Halloween because it always gave her an excuse to uh, to work on a special effects makeup. And but she never really had an opportunity to do anything like she did for for Volumes of Blood because she didn't realize the films were being made. So as soon as I found out what she was capable of and what she could do, and you know, step by step, by the time we got around to doing Volumes of Blood, um, 
I, I call her my personal Tom Savini. Oh. <laughs> because that's what she, she, I'll throw a crazy idea at her, and it can even be something kind of last minute, and she, she'll find ways to make it work. And she's also, um, you know, very overly critical about herself. She's, she's one of those actors, or actors, uh, artists that whenever, um, you know, she does an effect, it's always a learning process. It's always, now what can I do next time to make it better, to make it look better, to make it, you know, and I'm I'm just like sitting here like a little kid. I mean, we all are, you know, sitting on set and she's throwing blood everywhere and doing all kinds of gore and stuff. And we're all just really excited about it. And then she sees it on screen. She just picks it apart and she's like, here's what we're doing next time. And That's great. So yeah. I've really, go, going back to the sequel, like with the first, with the first film, there were 19 deaths total, mm-hmm. but only 13 of them were on screen. Which is still pretty impressive, I think, for uh, for Wait, a lower-budget horror it was, movie. It was ambitious, especially for, and I'll go ahead, for, for a $6,000 budget movie. Wow. That was our budget. It was $6,000. That's impressive. Because a lot of movies that are, are a budget like that... Uh, either you get really you get really bad special effects or no special effects at all because there's no money for right. them. And you guys, it's on the screen. I can I I can definitely see <laughs> that on the screen. So that's well, there, great. You know, there were some things that we wanted to do a little bit more with, but we ran out of money and resources, unfortunately. But all the ones that I really wanted to show on screen, um, we got that. You know, the head head being cut in half with a chainsaw, the, yep. the spinal cord being ripped out, um, the stabbing of the one character, I won't say who, gets stabbed multiple times in the face, and then his head gets run over by a car. Oh, so yeah. You get to see all of that. I had a nice big smile on my face through all of those sequences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nice. So, going into the sequel, I'm really... <laughs> We're being even more ambitious with the second one because in this one there's 22 deaths and 20 of them are on screen. Oh, wow. Now, may I ask what the budget is for uh, Volumes of Blood Part 2? I'm keeping that under wraps, but it is considerably larger than what it was for the first film. Okay, well, great. Well, trust me when I say that I've seen tons of low-budget horror movies, big-budget horror movies, and the the money is on the screen. I can I can see the money is on the screen. Thank you. Um, what, so what equipment, like, as far as cameras did you use? Did you use some HD cameras or... Because um, I, I thought um, it was very slickly shot. Oh, thank you. That's... I mean, that's... We just... We had an amazing crew. Uh, we had David Bunnell, DP. He, uh, you know, he, he was kind of the main director of photography on the movie and and um then there's ryan mccurdy and daniel hyatt and i did a little bit of shooting but not very much um but all those guys did such a great job um shooting the movie and and um it's we shot with a series of dslrs everything from canon to a black magic camera and um so you know my my biggest concern going into it was Oh God! Everything's going to look different. Like mm-hmm. no, it's not all going to look the same, and it's you know, how's that going to come across? But luckily, you know, when you when you put the right equipment in the in the right hands, you really don't have anything to be concerned about. And that was the case with Volumes of Blood. So 
you know, we had some guys who were really talented behind the camera, and it and it and it really shows on screen in the end because you know everything is pretty consistent for the most part throughout the film, shooting wise and and, and quality and look. Yeah. Um, well, I couldn't honestly, I, I couldn't tell you the, the exact cameras that we used, but I know it was it was several different yeah. DSLRs. Yeah, I actually have a little bit of experience with the Blackmagic camera. That's a that's a great camera. Yes, and it I is could, a very nice camera. Yeah, and I could tell. I'm like, this is very slickly shot, and uh, so, and that's what caught my eyes watching when I watched the movie was that it was shot well, and there was the effects are on screen, and they're done really, really well. And there's you know the they're interesting stories, and uh, and it's funny at times. And I'm like, I didn't know what the budget was until you told me, but uh, it definitely felt like it was more than what you guys had. So uh, that's oh, thank great. you. Yeah, that's thank great. you. So as far as volumes of blood goes, uh, is it is it available right now? As far as for sale on Blu-ray or DVD or video on demand or what? How can uh, how can listeners uh, watch this movie right now? Um, I mean, right right now the film is not available. I am in talks with a distributor, and for all intents and purposes, they seem very excited that they and they want the film. Um, it's just a matter of you know working out all the all the you know the little details and things in the contract, putting the contract together. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. So it'll it'll be out um, on DVD on VOD. A little later this year, um, but because of the way, because of the, where I'm at in the process, I, I can't really say who I'm talking to sure. or exactly when it's going to come out. Because I know, I know who I am talking to has a very specific deadline and time for announcing things. Um, so I'm not, so I can't say anything about it just yet. But we are talking to distributors or a distributor now, and um, the plan is, is you know, releasing it this year. Right. So we're my hope. My hope is is that around the same time that the sequel starts screening is when the first movie will come out, and I think and I think that'll be a really great opportunity for some cross promotion there. Definitely, definitely. Um, did, did you did Volumes of Blood play in any uh, local theaters or anything, or did you did you uh, like did you go on a tour with it, or are you planning to do that with Volumes of Blood too? Uh, the, the first film did. Play it. Uh, I, it, it, went, it went on a festival tour. It played everywhere from uh, LA to up in Canada. It, in Montreal, it played at one of their festivals, and um, it played pretty much played all over the country. Um, so it had a, it had a pretty good run. We we I think it was somewhere between fifteen and, and twenty festivals, and then of course it's just if you Google volumes of blood, you will find out more than you ever wanted to know about the project. Um, but it was, the whole response to the movie was ultimately what was kind of un, unexpected to everybody who was a part of the film. Because um, we, we got, you know, reviews and things for the movie oh, well well over 40, and we only got one that was lukewarm, and then all the rest of them were good or glowing. That's great. So that was another, that was another thing that really kind of spawned us um, or, you know, spurred us into wanting to do a sequel. Um, on top of the fact that we got an opportunity to do a sequel, but, you know, we're going into the sequel the same way we went into the first movie. You know, we're horror fans making a horror film for horror fans. I mean, we're not, we're not, um, 
redoing the very first, you know, we're not redoing the same film. It's completely different than what it was in the first film. But I think, but we took a lot of the elements, I think, that made it successful, and I brought back as many of the crew and things that helped make it successful in the first film, and, and you know, hopefully that will... Yeah, that will make the, the second one just as good, if not better. Fingers crossed. You know, and it, it's funny because, like, you say that uh, you know, your your horror fans making a horror movie for for other horror fans, and I get that from like I I noticed that like with other directors too. Adam Green immediately comes to mind with his Hatchet movies. Like, right. I can tell watching those Hatchet movies, that guy likes horror movies, and he gets it. And <laughs> I, and it's so there are certain movies where you watch and you're like. Like ah, that just kind of seems phoned in. Or uh, there's another generic horror movie on Netflix that you know it looks nice, but it's hollow or whatever. And but there's right. certain ones that you watch and you're like, wow, that um, you know they use they, their special effects were great, and they may have had a small budget, but you can tell they really are trying to cater towards horror fans. And I I love that. I think that is that's fantastic. And so I'm really glad that you were. Uh, uh, you're making a sequel to this, especially because it's an anthology movie, and I I just dig those so much. <laughs> it's you know it, it's funny when we first anthologies of um, you know they've been coming out in varied degrees over the last several years, but it it seems like ever since uh, we did Volumes of Blood, just a myriad of anthologies have started coming out, and uh, and even now working on the sequel, it's just even more anthologies you know, are, 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 you know, like Tales of Halloween, for instance, yep. and um, there's a couple others, and strangely enough, and this was something that really kind of, here recently, um, actually, in the, I guess it's the current Horror Round edition that's out right now, um, we got we got mentioned because someone did a review about another anthology and then they said how excited they were because it's a great time for anthologies and they mentioned Tales of Halloween and Volumes of Blood which really threw a lot of us off we're like holy crap you know now we're still being mentioned and and so it's so I guess we have hit a chord with with the first film and that's just first of all extremely humbling um but like I said, that unexpected is probably the best word that I can, because you never really know when you're making a movie uh, how it will be received. Because I've done films in the past where um, some of the reviews were just ball busters. Yeah. And uh, so going into this one, I mean, there's always there's always um, I think with this film, there's always going to be something that you'll like yeah. is how I look at it. You know, there's, there's going to be sequences that people don't particularly like. It's, it's funny how many people will say, well, Gasoline is my favorite, or someone will say 13, 13 after midnight is my favorite and Gasoline is my least favorite. Yeah. It's just, it's funny how it varies, but the great thing is, is that there's always one or two sequences that people really take to in the film. Uh, and me personally, Encyclopedia Satanica and 13 after midnight, um, which were Nathan and Jacob's two shorts were my two favorites um, of the film. Yeah, and uh, you know both those guys, like yeah, I've already mentioned them before, but you know Nathan's attention to detail is really incredible, and he's um, 
you know, he, he's really on top of it when it comes to making his short. He's really involved with every little aspect, um, annoyingly so sometimes. But I think <laughs> ultimately, you know, it makes a better story. It makes a better product Sure. in the end. And then, like, you know, so all the directors that were involved, they, they brought, you know, what makes them a horror fan to the set and then they used all the uh, resources they could to the best of their abilities to, to help make what became volumes of blood. And, yeah. you know, looking back, um, I mean, there's always things you would probably do a little differently and there's some, you know, looking back, there's some things I would have done a little differently on the project, but, but I think ultimately the ride has been well worth all the headaches and, yeah, and um, you know issues and things that we came across. So yeah, well, and here, the thing is, I mean, like the first time I heard about about this movie was uh, I'm a big podcast listener, so I listened to all sorts of different movie podcasts, and one in particular mentioned your movie. Um, in fact, it may have even been along with uh, Tales of Halloween, uh, but it's a horror uh, podcast, and they mentioned it, and I'm like, right. I should I should look out for that movie sometime. And then uh, our <laughs> other co-host Jess Hicks. She said, "Hey, uh, you should check out this movie, and maybe we can get an interview with the with one of the directors, PJ Starks." And uh, and here we are. So you guys are out there. I mean, there are horror podcasts and sites talking about your movie, and that's how I heard about about the movie. And uh, so that's great. And I'm guessing that even with part two going to be uh, rolling into production here soon, that hopefully you'll get even more uh, more notice and uh, get a nice big release on the first one and uh a somewhat of a theatrical release for part two i know that i personally i actually work at a uh at a, a theater here in akron ohio and uh so we are always looking for uh you know, different types of movies that uh we could bring in and so hopefully awesome. if, you, if you go on the on the tour we would certainly like to entertain you know possibility of showing your movie too hey absolutely just you know let us know yeah. we'll be there yeah <laughs> Well, great. Well, hey, I won't keep you any longer. This uh, this has been great. I I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, PJ, to come on to our show hey, no and uh, talk a little bit about Volumes of Blood One and give us uh, a little taste of Volumes of Blood Part Two coming out. Hopefully, you think are, are you thinking within a year uh, it'll be complete and edited and everything ready to go, or what? What's your time frame on that? Well, I don't. I don't. Right now, our time frame is, and I don't want to jinx it, but our time frame is to have the movie completed by October of this year. Okay. Um, so the plan is is uh, tail end of this year, beginning of next is when we'll really start pushing it towards uh, festivals and things. Yeah. And getting it out there. So um, if and when it does get released, I'm sure it won't be until after it's it's run through in 2017. So I would say tw hopefully 2017 is when is when you'll see it come out. Good. Um, on DVD or VOD, however it works out. But uh, but yeah, that's our time frame right now. It's just getting it done by October. Okay. Oh, that's great! Right in time for Halloween. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, uh, to our listeners out there, please support independent uh, cinema. And support the hardworking directors out there like our guest today. Uh, without continued viewer support, you know, these artists can't keep doing what they do. And so we were so appreciative of, of the viewers and you, PJ, and other directors like you that are pulling together funds and making 
cool, uh, cool little horror movies like this that, and I, I say little, this is pretty ambitious. And if you ask me, but these cool, cool movies that, uh, that aren't big mainstream things, but are made by horror fans for horror fans and it shows. And so we really appreciate, uh, that you're doing this and we wish you all the best of luck in the future. And hopefully we can, uh, I can interview again for uh, Volumes of Blood Part 2. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot for uh, for chiming in, PJ. And at this point, hey, I'm going to Thank hit. you for having me on. Yeah. All right. We're back. Awesome job, Eugene. Well done. And thank you for uh, to Mr. PJ Starks for uh, lending us your time to speak about volumes of blood and good luck in all your future endeavors, sir. Hopefully, hopefully we'll talk to you again very yep. soon. Uh, let's move on to recently watched. Uh, I teased more than a few oddball things last episode and, uh, but Jess gets to go first. So go ahead, Jess, lead us off. So I've been watching the uh, mix here of movies and TV. Um, so I guess I'm going to start with my first, uh, I'll start with the newest. I saw, uh, the boy, which is the theatrical release, not the straight-to-DVD release by the same name. Um, this is the movie starring Laura, Laura Cohan from, uh, as Maggie from The Walking Dead. And she is a woman who takes a job as a governess. She flies from Montana to England, taking a job as a governess for this family that lives in a huge castle out in the middle of nowhere for their son. And when she gets there, she realizes that the family treats a, a doll as their son. And it comes to find out that their actual son was burned in a fire in the castle, um, like, a decade and a half ago. So, she decides she's going to stay there, which is, to be honest, like, no possible way would I ever buy into anybody deciding they would actually stay after they got there and found out that's what they were being paid to do when they like found out these old this old like eccentric rich couple actually thought this doll was alive. Now is that a natural human reaction or is that the reaction of somebody who's watched too damn many horror movies? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because I've watched a fair amount of horror movies and I would look at that and be like, nope. See ya. Yeah, I'd be I'd be gone. I'd be like, no, I don't think so. So so audience, um, those of you who don't watch horror movies on a daily basis <laughs> would you stay and babysit the creepy doll for X amount of money, or would you get the fuck out of there? ASAP? It would have to be a hell of a lot of money, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so, basically, this is a standard kind of PG-13 movie, but I had fun with it. I, I, I you know, it. I went in because I like creepy doll movies. Um, I know some people probably had a, a problem with twists um with the twist ending and i can definitely see that if you're expecting one thing you get another but i don't want to go into it until everybody's seen it um but yeah. aside from that i had a lot of fun with it it's just it's standard fare the jump scares work really well lauren cohan it's actually got some funny bits in it too the you know lauren cohan's a decent actress and the um male counterpart she acts opposite on um I'm I'm not sure who the actor is, but he does a great job. They have good chemistry on screen, so you're not watching a bunch of, like, you're not stuck with two flat people, which right. is what I've come across. And, like, I think Annabelle would be the most recent yeah. example I can put of that, of just 
having to watch flat people for an hour and a half. So I I thought it was fun, and I would give it a thumbs up if you um, are just looking for an in kind of easygoing, just there you go horror film. I I, I would I would go <laughs> okay. out and see it. I got <laughs> I have I have some questions. Okay. Um, and we'll keep this spoiler free. Okay. Uh, I listen to a podcast that uh, talks about a lot of horror movies, and they broke this thing down ad nauseum, and I was interested by the trailer and it's a movie i'll watch and they started talking about well the twist twist the twist the twist and i was like you know what it's not like freaking star wars where right. i care so much i was okay with hearing them break down the twist so i know everything that happens in this movie uh-huh. um and they were all very put off with the twist and myself i was like I kind of would have to see how that's presented because I think I could go either way, whether I hate that or enjoy that. And and so I enjoyed it. You enjoyed yeah, it? Okay. It gave. It, it, there were shades of without being too spoiler. There were shades yeah. of sort short short of like the Friday the Thirteenth early sequels, um, like part two, part three. There were mm-hmm. kind of shades of Black yeah. Christmas a bit. Um, yeah, I got that. So, and and I thought they were they were nice. Like I thought that was a competent director doing that in a way that was interesting. And yeah, if you wanted the movie to be what it seems like, thing. yeah, then yeah. Th- great. <laughs> and if you didn't want it to be that, then I can see why you'd be upset. But I enjoyed it. I liked what they did with it. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll definitely yeah, it out. I definitely want to see. It. Is it worthy of a theatrical viewing, Jess, or should uh, should we wait for Netflix? Uh, or... I would. I could say you could probably wait. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be rushing out to spend your money on on it unless it goes to like the dollar theater or something like that. Gotcha. But... And from that, if you're a true hardcore horror fan, you can probably glean which way that twist is going. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because there's, there's just no, the atmosphere isn't heavy enough for it to be to warrant the big screen yeah. and the loud sound. Yeah. Like the jump scares will be just as effective on a small screen as they would on a big screen. They're nothing. Do you guys have a favorite uh, killer doll movie or possessed doll or? Uh, you guys would probably know better than me, but there was a. I mean. <sighs> Obviously Chucky, but um, there was a old black and white one that really that Mystery Science Theater did, and they still creeped me the hell out, even though they were making fun of the movie. Dead of Night. I don't remember what the title was. I, it's some generic mm-hmm. kind of horror thing, but it it still creeped me the hell out, even though they were making fun of it. It was like, ugh, marionette, ugh, mm-hmm. Pinocchio, mm-hmm. bastard. I don't know. Um, I'm a big fan of Puppet Master. Oh, the uh, Charles Band original, Puppet Master? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You know, I gotta say, I really like James Wan's uh, Dead Silence. I really yeah, like that movie. Yeah, Dead Silence is good. Underrated. Yes, it is. That was on the roulette. You gave that to me. Yeah. And uh, I gotta say, that was a good movie. Yeah. I was pretty impressed with it. That was Dolls is always fantastic, too. Oh, yes. Dolls would be a good runner-up. The Stuart Gordon movie. I really like that one. Good movie. Okay, over to me. Um... A documentary on Netflix that not enough people are talking about, and that's bothersome because this is one of the better documentaries that I saw in 2015. Well, I saw it obviously in 2016 from 2015. Uh, what happened, to Miss Simone? Huh. Uh, this is uh, using never-before-heard recordings, rare archi- archival footage, and her best-known songs. This is the story of legendary singer and activist Nina Simone. And I went into this knowing absolutely nothing about Nina Simone and came out the other end going, wow, that was a very 
well-constructed documentary, and it's mm -hmm. very much a cold documentary. It has no perspective one way or the other, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and I very much appreciate that. That's the way I like my documentaries. Uh, it, it is not just about a sort of jazzy singer in the, what is it, 60s, 70s. They also tie in um, uh, the civil rights movement and... Uh, how do I put it? Uh, uh, chemical imbalance, yeah, uh, or emotional disorders. They kind Depression of depression and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I I watched right. it too. I really I really liked it. Oh, cool! I knew of her. Like I knew her. Her like I knew Center Man, the song Center Man, and I knew um, her rendition of uh, Feeling Good. But I didn't I, I've know heard her, her name or... before. But I didn't know anything about her. Yeah. Um. So I went in totally naked. And, you know, it's tough for any documentary to mix any of those two topics. And this one did all three, and it did it so well. I, I, I was By the time it was over, I was like, I just kind of sat there and was like, wow, I can't, I'm, I'm juggling all sorts of emotions on three different extreme topics. And they, I thought it juggled it very well. I, I was very impressed with that documentary. It's not the happiest of things, and it's not... I'm not even going to say it's the most entertaining of things, because there were parts where I was like, come on, let's go. Uh, but at the same time, it was very interesting, everything that I was seeing and where it was leading. I just couldn't wait to see what the outcome was of this woman's story. Uh, so it's very interesting to, to take that in, and, and Eugene, uh, you should give it a watch as well. Okay. And it, it's important to note that it is up for best uh, documentary at the Oscars. Is it oh, really? wow. Okay. No kidding. Yeah. I vote for it. <laughs> wow. That and Cartel Land. Really? Oh, mm -hmm. shit. Okay. I'm watching that this week. Well, I'll be chiming in on that one because I watched that. Oh, well, take it away. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually watched two different documentaries, and one was Cartel Land. I also watched Drone. Uh, I was trying to go back and forth on which one I was going to talk about, but that was that was a great lead-in to Cartel Land. So I'll talk about it. Do a double header. Okay. So uh, Cartel Land. Um, <clears throat> first off, this one here is filmed exquisitely. I, I don't know what other word to use. I can totally see why this is up for uh, a best documentary at the Oscars. Um, you know, I really would like to have someone else's opinion on the way, the, I guess, the, the way this movie went. Because I was so involved in this movie, and for some reason, to me, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but the documentary, but it seems to wander off by the end. But maybe that's the point of this documentary, is that there are no answers. Because this is, this is about uh, the drug cartels in Mexico, and the militia that is... Not only in Mexico, but there is a militia on the U.S. border that are trying to stop uh, the drug dealers from coming in. And so it focuses on these two groups of people, both highly flawed groups of people, I might add. Um, mm -hmm. it, it seems like the movie is it, trying to walk that fine line of, obviously, drugs are bad and these cartels are bad. But these militias are also doing things that are, you know, not really legal, especially the militia in Mexico. Um, I mean, they're all about, if we find you, we will murder you. And like, there's just a lot of murder going on. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's just like, and, and no one is trustworthy. And, 
I was so like the whole way through. At, at actually, at first, I was like, "Oh, is this going to be a pro militia type thing?" To where it's like, "Yeah, these, these yeah for rallying week- on the border." And blah. Yes, weekend warriors with their M16s. I was, and- I, I'm surprised that there was a, an American side of it because that's not the way the Netflix made it sound. It made oh, it yes, sound like it, the, it was just Mexican uh, vigilantes fighting the cartel. Yeah, and it's mainly that, but there are uh, there are a lot of. Uh, scenes with this, with the side of the border with these guys. And mm. they're, they're, honestly, they're equally troublesome to me. Uh, just with, with what they say and everything. And my God, this is, I, I don't really, su- I understand why you're doing it, but, eh, it just. It sort was, of relax a little bit, guys. Yes, yeah. You with the, down with all government. And yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. So, but, I, I guess where I started to stumble on the movie was when it got towards the end of the movie. I'm like, ah, this seems to be wandering, but it might be wandering because it, it's, there is no easy answer for this. There is no easy answer for stopping drugs being made in Mexico and for them trying to get the drugs into the United States. Uh, I do, I did find it interesting that Kathleen Bigelow is a producer on this movie. Mm. Uh, so that was, of course. Yeah, but I, it, it looked incredible. In fact, uh, I was surprised, and I want to maybe do a little bit more research, but some of it was so well well shot that I'm like, this almost feels staged. Like, I feel like I'm watching a movie. It's that well staged that it, this feels like a part of Sicario. Um, and I'm not sure if, if some of it was staged or, I, I don't imagine so, but it, it felt like that, or if it was just, you know, just really talented filmmakers making this documentary, but it was good. Definitely worth a watch. I, I don't know if I would say it's best, uh, best documentary of the year, uh, but it was definitely worth a watch. I just, well, I'd like you to watch, uh, what happened Miss Simone then put it up against that uh, as far yeah. as the comparison. Wow. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll watch cartel land obviously now, especially yeah. I'm trying to look for, was that staged or not? When they start doing that kind of shit with documentaries, I get pissy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and seriously, they, it, it, I'm I'm not sure. It's it's just I, it's so cinematic that I'm like, ah, oh, some of this feels like it was staged, but I I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, I'll look into that. I'll keep a sharp eye out. Trust me, I can usually pick out that kind of stuff. I'm real bitchy about that. And uh, another thing I want to mention about uh, what happened with Simone: the vast majority of that movie is archival footage. Okay. Which I yeah, greatly appreciate. Uh, it's super like if you did either of you see Amy? Amy. The Amy, Amy Winehouse? Winehouse I have not yeah. seen that. Uh-uh. All of that 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 one's done entirely in like home videos and archival footage. It's not at all anything up front, which is which was I love and and Miss Simone does the same thing. That's the way documentaries should be. Unless it's yes. just a straight on interview with a living person, which they did that in Miss Simone, which is fine. Um, yeah. with her daughter and whatnot, you know, stuff like that, that's uh, totally acceptable, but I hate it when it's Michael Moore's an entertainer, you know. It's it's I don't want to rag on him, but it's sort of like Oh, I had a great thought about him this week, and I was sort of like, oh, he's a, a political commentator. Mm-hmm. I don't consider him the documentarian. And that's okay. That's fine. Go ahead and do your thing. Uh, but it's not a documentary. When you're, in my opinion, when you're constantly throwing your tilt on the thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm a fan of the cold doc, so. 
And I will say this, that leads me into, and I'll keep this brief, that leads me into sure. this next documentary, Drone, uh, because I thought that, that they tried to paint Cartel Land in a, almost a neutral type, like, okay, here are the facts here, here's what's going on, and here we go. Drone, on the other hand, was very much one-sided, extremely one-sided. Uh, I liked it, uh, I gave it three stars, but by the end, and I am, I am very progressive, uh, but watching this, I'm like, yeah, this is very much anti-drone, and I get that. I understand there are very, very good reasons as to why there should be more monitoring of drone warfare and what's going on across the world and how, you know, United States is, we're big on drones, but it's like, this shit could happen over here too. We could have other countries saying mm-hmm. drone, drones over here doing crazy stuff, but, uh, one thing they, and they, one thing they really don't touch on almost at all is there are actually bad guys out there. Uh, and they really don't cover that at all. It's just, these drones are killing innocent people all, you know, all the time. And I'm, they probably are, and that's bad, but there are still bad guys out there. These drones are making even more bad guys when they blow up a town and there's innocent people killed. Yes, I get that. Um, and I don't want this show to go totally political, but this was very much a one-sided thing to where it's like, I, I trust me, I'm, I'm right there. I get that. I understand that. But when we're getting into, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like it's it, uh, like it was very uh, anti-drone and sort of like, well, you don't discount. It's just a weapon, at, you know, at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. And yes, maybe they're being overused at the, or underused, yes. whatever your political stance may be, but, um, it's it's just a gun. Yes, well, my my thing, I guess, with the whole thing is that it's like I don't want to say there are no terrorists, but it's like they they very much don't really say anything about that. That you know these things might actually be taking care of some of the bad guys. It's these things are killing innocent people, and that's horrible. And I'm I'm sure they are. Uh, and they, again, this is coming from a very liberal person, uh, but it, I I didn't like the fact that it was very much a completely one-sided thing where it's like, kind of wish they would have been a little bit more like, this is what's going on. And there's some, you know, sometimes it's bad. Yeah. Sometimes it's bad. And here's what happens when it's so bad. And, but here's also what happens when it's used right. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's that weird gray area. And I was not, I I wasn't even sure if I was going to talk about this movie because it left me with a very much, ah, that was a, Conflicting? Yes, very conflicting, because I don't like these things, and but they're probably doing some good, but at the same time, they're killing innocent people, and yeah, anyway. I got you. I totally yeah. understand, and I, I honestly, I was surprised to find out it was a documentary. I thought it was a movie that I I had. know, the, the poster, the, the cover art looks very much like a movie. Yeah. All right. Well, good to know. Interesting. Make up your own mind on drone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jess. All right, so um, I did a lot of rewatching here these past few days. Um, so uh, I, because I rediscovered my, my having DVR, which is amazing, and I rediscovered <laughs> having the El Rey Network. Oh, oh nice, Rodriguez. Yes, and I had forgotten that because I hadn't had it in a while, and I've forgotten how awesome it was. So I've been recording things, but uh, so I'll make this a double header. I did fourteen oh eight which I haven't watched Ooh, in nice. quite some time. Um, it still holds up pretty well. Um, it, it, you know, some of the effects are kind of cheesy looking now, but 
as far as story and as far as I mean, I watched it on it was I recorded it on IFC and they're unedited, so nothing was taken out or anything like that. It is a bit long though with with commercials, so that's always kind of a bummer. But you can fast forward through those now, so that's awesome. <laughs> hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I like it. it. It's it's one of the better Stephen King recent Stephen King movies, and it still came out almost ten years ago now at this point. Wow. Yeah, it's 2007, so. Eric, I think you and I watched that in the theater, didn't we? No. Okay. Uh, I think... <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't see that in the theater. I, I think I saw it on Netflix, or uh, I don't know, but I'm almost 100% sure I didn't see it in the theater. At any rate, I was like, I had very low expectations, and I watched it, and I was like, damn, that's up. That's upper tier... Stephen King translation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Agreed. So then the, the uh, uh, next one that I was revisiting that I hadn't watched in uh, quite some time was Session Nine. Oh, great movie. Yes, it is. And it's a movie that I, you know, I, I appreciate it a lot more now than I did probably when I first saw it because I probably, I first saw it just a few years after it came out and I would have been not familiar with that kind of slower everything sort of happens off camera um, atmosphere movie, but it's something that it, you know, watching it and it's hilarious to see David Caruso in it (laughs) (laughs) just because now he's just the face of CI, whatever CSI and Larry Fessenden. Don't forget him. And Larry Fessenden. Yes. For all of of 30 seconds. I was, yes. Um, And it's just everything about that movie's eerie. The obviously the the ghost aspect, but just the entire like these people working and doing these jobs where they're eventually going to die some horrible, miserable death because they've inhaled some little tiny asbestos particle. It's just it's it's creepy on all levels in supernatural and realism. Um, and, and I'm glad I got to watch it again. I really want Scream Factory to put out like a collector's edition of this or something. I think that would be awesome. Agreed. That's not on Netflix anymore, correct? It used no, to be on it's Netflix. not. Okay. Yeah, it was for a long time, and uh, I don't think it is now. I don't know if it's on Prime or Hulu or anything. Yeah, because I've got the DVD, but I would really like to watch that one on uh, on Blu-ray or at least a uh, high-def version of it because it that yeah, was a I've... genuinely creepy movie. I think I think Screen Factory needs to put out a really cool collector's edition. I bet they could get some extra features on there. That would be really neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That place that they filmed that that was it felt like that place could be genuinely haunted. Yeah. Well, it kind of. I mean, it reminds me of the Mansfield Reformatory a bit. Yeah. That place was freaking creepy, man. In, the, mm-hmm. in session nine, I mean, ugh. <clears throat> I'm sure, uh, like myself, you guys snapped to that scene where. They look down the long hallway and the thing oh. steps back. Yeah. Ugh, damn it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I gotta try and sleep tonight. Okay, can we can we talk about something else? Happy? The, those tape recorders. <laughs> the, the, the tape recorders of the the lady talking. Of the oh. lady with the voices. Those are, those yeah. are creepy, but it didn't have nothing to when he shown that flashlight down that hallway. Yeah, that was Ugh. great. Ugh. Yeah, good movie. Good movie. Okay, uh, we all give session nine a thumbs up. I. I oh, yeah. Movie Freak Seal of Approval. <laughs> oh, yes. That is a seal of approval. Definitely a good movie. Uh, moving on to another good movie. Uh, excuse me. Swallowing. Turbo Kid. All, All right. right. <sighs> I'm going to 
last, this is one that Eugene and I have seen, but you, Eric had not seen. Last person on earth to see this movie, but it came yeah. on Netflix and I jumped at the chance and it says 2015 when it was made or released. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, this is a 1980s movie through and through <laughs> with all the Michael Ironside to prove it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, a lot of these movies are... Uh, Having grown up in the 80s, it's very interesting how uh, there is a resurgence of this type of filmmaking, and I would point even to, like, Drive as being that Mm -hmm. type of filmmaking. Where it gets that retro feel down to a a science, where it doesn't feel like it's pressing itself on you. Agreed, but it's, there's a fine line between homage and ripoff. Okay, and mm-hmm. I have never seen it so perfectly portrayed as in Turbo freaking Kid. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many movies I watched in the 80s of a kid jumping aboard his BMX bike to go right off to adventure and maybe get the girl that he dreams about and running into all kinds of shenanigans and coming out on top and superior. I'm I'm serious. There's like a dozen. It's an amazing thing. It hit me at the right time. Being an 80s kid... It, it, you know, so I'm all automatically drawn to that type of uh, concept. And here we have it where it's paying homage to all of those movies, but at the same time, it's 100% its own movie. It's not like ripping off anything else. It's not like I can point to, oh, well, they're saying it's like this or that or the other thing. Mm-hmm. And, on, and, then, and then you get to the third act and they're like, you know what? On top of that, now we're just going to be bad taste. <laughs> We're just gonna, here's guts, yep. and here's a guy cut in half, and his guts and intestines all over somebody else's face, face flying off. Yep. And then, and then, and here's Michael Ironside. I I so rarely do it. I do not jump to this lightly. Ten. That's all. Wow. Ten. Yeah. I adored every frame of this movie. I'm pretty sure I gave Turbo Kid the 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 full five stars. I loved it. The music was fantastic as well. It just hit all the right notes. Uh, And, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. Uh, If you're not familiar with some of those movies, then I I can't imagine how you would enjoy this movie. And I don't even know the titles of those 80s movies. (laughs) Like, they were probably probably, uh, direct-to-TV Probably, yeah. BMX bandits and there, there was, rad, there was and... B- rad and BMX kid, and there was uh, Christian Slater was gleaming the cube on a skateboard. Yep. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, so much shit. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. There was one where the kid from Christmas Story was uh, the dirt bike kid, and his dirt bike flew. Oh yes, you remember yep. that? Oh yes, I remember that one. Uh, the worst blue screen, blue screen you ever saw in your life. <laughs> But at the time, I was like, this is amazeballs. Uh, more of this, less of everything else. And this paid homage to that without uh, ripping it off. And and then you got the robot girlfriend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who who lo- looks both like an idiot and totally is perfectly playing her role. And you believe the relationship. I'd, I would have to hear from somebody who didn't watch any of those movies. and. Still enjoyed it. Jess? Well, I I mean, I can't say that I'm totally, you know, unfamiliar with the territory that it comes from. I mean, I know I didn't grow up then, but I have seen a lot of that kind of 80s feel. So I think I I, I totally got it. And it totally, it, like I said, it didn't feel like it was over, like, 
too tongue-in-cheek or anything like that. It really did feel like it was made in that time period. Like, they weren't poking fun at it. There wasn't any sort of misstep, like, oh, we're going to... Yeah, we love these movies through and through, but let's just kind of make fun of this one thing or whatever. It all all was just very genuine, and I liked it a lot. Once again, just uses bigger, better words to succinctly (laughs) describe exactly what I'm trying to convey. I do, th- I do think that some of the uh, some of the violent scenes towards the end, especially, uh, were paying some uh, yeah some respect to the, like some of the older Italian. I jump to Italian movies, but there was a string of Italian post-apocalyptic. I kept going to bad taste in that third act, man. Well, I, yeah, not only that, but I'm thinking I'm thinking of like the Road Warrior ripoffs that the Italians did, and there is a ton of them, and I have some of them. Uh, where it's just balls on action and killing and violence and and bloodshed, and it, it felt like that to me. Like I'm like, oh, this feels almost like one of those crazy Italian movies that were trying to be the next Road Warrior. Maybe that's what it is. It's just a combination of everything uh, that was cool about '80s cinema. It's mm-hmm. like they got the kid on the the dirt bike. You got the Road Warrior. You got Bad Taste. I mean, smash all three of those things together, and that's the perfect film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it will be mine on Blu-ray. That's definitely a one to own for sure. Absolutely loved it. Eugene, your turn. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you know, I posted a review today on uh, on the uh, Movie First Facebook page, and I'm going to touch on this movie briefly. I have a couple others that I'm going to talk about, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But if you want my full review of this movie. Check out uh, Movie Freak's Facebook page for my review, uh, and that would be The Revenant. And uh, I would guess that if you're listening to this show, you know or have heard of The Revenant, starring my favorite actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Tom Hardy, uh, directed by, and I hope I get his name right, uh, Alejandro, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaretu. And in a Ritu, I think. In yes. a Ratu, sure. I'm pretty Ratu. sure you had yes. it the first time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Saratoga. Yes. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, goes back to a true story. At least parts of it were a true story about a frontiersman, uh, a group of fur traders, fur trappers that uh, get into this big battle with uh, Native Americans, and all hell breaks loose. One of them is left for dead. And he comes back from the dead after being pretty much buried alive to take vengeance. I uh, absolutely adore this movie. I cannot speak highly enough about this movie. Something about it just affected me, and rarely does a movie do this to me anymore, but I don't want to put it on the same pedestal as, two th- as 2001 A Space Odyssey, but... Well, while, wow. You already did that. Well, but for while watching it, it was something about... I just... I felt like I was a part of that movie, and like I was with DiCaprio... In the wilderness, I'm not sure what it was about about the movie. If it was just mm-hmm. the natural lighting and really being shot on location, that I was transformed to 1800s, and it felt so real to me. And I love that. And the the bear attack scene felt like this dude is truly getting annihilated by a bear. And the only yeah. reason I bring up 2001 is because of how I felt so much a part of that movie. It's not. 2001 greatness, but I do give this five out of five stars for me. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I, all two hours and 35 minutes of it, I just sat there soaking it all in. I loved Tom Hardy. I loved DiCaprio. I was like, what is, what 
the hell is going to happen next? And uh, You almost said, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. Because that's what I was saying. <laughs> I, even the weirdness, there was some weird stuff to it. I loved it. I just, I, this was a total Eugene movie. Total Eugene movie. Nah. Uh, <laughs> no. No, or? It was not a total Eugene movie. I won't say that. <laughs> oh, I come on. It. If I'm watching this, and I, trust me, I was not thinking, this is a total Eugene movie. I was thinking Eugene could go either way on this, and yeah. you went one way. So. Yeah, I did. And that's I, fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this one again. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen to your view of when you watch it again. Yeah, so, and who knows? I, I might be like, eh. I, now granted, this movie needs to be seen on a big screen. Uh, it truly does. I told does. you that in my review. Biggest, yeah. uh, biggest screen I had at Tinseltown. Yeah. And holy shit. I definitely give this the Oscar over Payful 8 by a mile. Yeah. Well, we're going to go see it um at the Highland Theater here right down the street. Um it's got a huge it's a one screen like we are but it's it's huge. It's it's a massive screen so we're going to yeah. see it there. It's only 5 bucks. Oh, you're nice. good. Well, that's, that's so we will be seeing it Sunday, yeah. finally. Yeah. Plot, just plot-wise, there's nothing to spoil. The entire plot of this entire movie was in the trailer. So it is. Right. You know everything. You're good. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured. Uh, now, Tom Hardy, uh, you know, I know, I, Eric, you kind of have a certain viewpoint on his character, but I... <laughs> I, Again, I, I think you have this perspective that I absolutely fucking hated this movie. And it's not that. I just, <laughs> you, we were texting and you're like, sorry, dude, this is the masterpiece. Best of 20 foot. Sorry, sorry. I'm like, I, I didn't hate it. I gave it three and a half. I, I gave it a positive score. I just said that, the, you know, there. I just get frustrated when I feel like there's easily cuttable stuff. And I, I really felt there was easily cuttable stuff. There is a badass two hour movie in here. And I'm just not quite seeing some of the same things that other people are. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, but this is a metaphor for this. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> it is, it is, I get it. I get what he's trying to say, but it gets lost on me because we spend, you know, two hours and 15 minutes focusing on this one emotional arc. And then you throw in five minutes of, no, no, metaphor. Native Americans dying. And I'm like, no weight. There's just no weight to it. You know, and there's a lot of vagaries. Yeah. I just, I just get frustrated when it's like, there's shit that you could cut out of here and this film would not lose a thing. Jess, do you remember with Hateful Eight where I was like, I said it needed frame fucked. It really needed, mm -hmm. that's what it needed. It needed cut off. I don't need 12 establishing shots of the carriage riding up to the house. So so what you're saying is I'm going to inevitably agree with Eugene in this aspect because I, if you'll remember, didn't want to cut anything. No, I'm, no, no, no. I'm saying that it, it's the opposite of Hateful Eight. I, I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the shots of the scenery stuff should be caught. It, don't lose any of oh, that. Okay. All of that oh, it's stuff. so good. No, oh. no. All of that stuff was perfectly paced and should absolutely stay. I don't have one bit of issue with any of that. My issue comes with five flashback scenes or dream sequences, it felt like. Maybe maybe it was only three, but it felt like five. And they were repeating the same shots and scenes. And it's like, for a two-hour, 40-minute movie, you could cut some of that out without losing anything. You know what I mean? Ah, I liked it. Nah! <laughs> then, then they show up with random things like the the skull 
pyramid. Oh, was, that was so awesome. Yeah, what? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> I have learned with you over the years, you're emotionally tied to this film, and I need to shut up because if I start talking negative, you're just going to get pissed at me. So I'm just going <laughs> to... Yeah, seriously. You, you okay, explain right. to I, me I... what it meant. What did that mean? Uh... <laughs> If you can give me one reasonable answer, I will accept. Oh, uh, I've got too much. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. I haven't seen it yet, so I will. That's, I will come true. in here with with, uh, with what I would see if I gather yeah. any. Yeah. There is a lot of of the whole distinctive Nat- messages. Native Americans losing their land and right. I get that, but you're talking about spending thirty <laughs> seconds on it when you've got a two hour and forty minute movie. You could. have where they're repeating shots you know that and that's the part that really irritates me i i freaking hate it when they repeat shots you better have a damn good reason for doing that now let me let me ask this eric did you see birdman i did not okay eugene did you see Birdman? i did yes yes i saw birdman did you like birdman i did this was way better than birdman i did like it i don't think it was deserving of the best picture of the year but i did like it Okay. I, I wasn't a fan. Your, of I don't Birdman, recall so. your reaction to Birdman being positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, okay. Now, now here's the thing with Birdman. If you would have taken out, I know that everybody said that Michael Keaton was great, and he was, but uh, Edward Norton was fantastic in that movie. And if you would have taken him out yes. of that movie, I wouldn't have liked it near as much as I did. I I, I loved. His I character I only in. liked the parts he was in, and then when once he's like towards the middle, like later half of the movie, when he's not really in it anymore, I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I don't, I don't no. care at all what happens to, to Michael Keaton. <laughs> I don't care. Back to this movie. Um, and I'm not. I'm not. I want to make it very clear. I'm not dogging Tom Hardy at all. Okay. The yeah. dude did a great job. He was totally entertaining. Again, I gave this movie a thumbs up. Um, <laughs> the squirrel speech. Another easily <laughs> cuttable thing where it's like, there's five minutes of film that meant fucking nothing. What? Uh, I liked that. Okay, it what was, does it mean? It, I don't think it mean a whole, I don't think it meant a whole <laughs> lot other than the fact... <laughs> Other than it me to hope to had that. Actually, let me just let me answer that in in Tom Hardy talk. Oh yeah, that, that's the other thing. Half of the performance. Uh, squirrel, you squirrel is God, and the God guy ate the squirrel. <laughs> what? what uh, okay, I, I'm not dogging his performance at all. He was great as the guy that he was. I just am a little baffled that he's getting. Um, Oscar nomination for this because his character, maybe this is more the fault of the writers than him, but uh, his character had zero arc. He's an asshole at the beginning, he's an asshole in the middle, he's an asshole at the end. The end. That's it. He's just an asshole. And <laughs> okay, and and that's fine. I He did fine, I guess. I No complaints about his performance, totally. I, I, I swear to God, when we started this episode, I said, Eugene's going to bring up The Revenant, and he's going to do this, and I'm just going to shut the hell up. And I'm not going to say anything, and here we are. Damn it. Oh, that's what makes it so good. Uh, it's your fault. And I, and I can't wait, Jess, for you to watch the movie and chime in on what your yeah, thoughts are I on the movie. I completely believe that Jess will give this five stars, ten out of ten. I absolutely <laughs> believe that 100%. All right. Uh, and maybe we I'm shall wrong. see. And I, again, no, it, I'm not shitting on you guys, because... 
Oscars love it too. I, I gave yeah. it a three and a half. I liked the movie. I just felt that there were scenes you could have trimmed this thing down. It wouldn't have been so damn long. None of it was the extraneous. Uh, <sighs> it was just, it was like the flashback scenes and shit like that. It's like, okay, you could have trimmed that. That didn't mean nothing. We got, we got, uh, 75 scenes of DiCaprio building a fire. We could tr- trim to, you know, three of them. <sighs> <sighs> now, now, do, do you think that, that DiCaprio, uh, deserves to be nominated or win the Oscar? Uh, DiCaprio, I thought, absolutely deserves it over Hardy. In this yeah, movie, I, I, I agree. There, he too. absolutely deserves to be nominated in this movie. Um, yeah. And again, I haven't watched all the Oscar-nominated movies, so I haven't seen like I the other performances. Well, I was but, just trying to think, what's left? What is there any that um, I haven't seen? Or, probably, but yeah, probably. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if any of us have watched the Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs movie, right? I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. That's, that's up for best pick. That thing bombed. Well, no, I'm talking about the actor, best actor. I know that oh. he is up for best actor, and that was he was kind of front runner until this movie did so well at the box office, and then DiCaprio started winning awards. So now he is the front runner on this, which is oh, I hope DiCaprio wins. He's nominated for this movie. Yeah, he is. Oh, I hope he wins. I really do. He did great. I definitely yeah. over party. I I don't. I totally get why DiCaprio is nominated for this movie. I don't quite understand why Hardy is. Oh, Jess, watch the movie. I want to see what you think. I, th- I thought Tom Hardy no, was I, great. I, I'm like, not knocking his performance. <laughs> he did fine. He did very good. But I, it's, I just, it was the same all the way throughout. It's like, I'm going to show up to work today and be an asshole. <laughs> That's it. But he was conflicted. No, he wasn't. He was just an <laughs> asshole the whole way through the entire movie. He didn't all right, change all right, one bit. All right, all right. <laughs> Alright, we're, we're, we're like, it's, it's like 11-11. Right, we, we, <laughs> okay. And I haven't even seen the movie yet, so uh, <laughs> just we're going like, to have to talk about this again next week. Uh, damn That's it. true. Okay. So. <laughs> Jess, go ahead. Uh, that being said, I'm, I'm going to wrap mine up here round. quick. Um, I, uh, I have one more movie that I just want to mention real quick, just because I think everybody should see it. I watched Creepazoids from 1987. It's a full moon special. Um, uh, it's a total alien ripoff starring Linnea Quigley. It's set in the, the vast future of 1998, where uh, new cores have reduced the world to rubble and a few band of wandering survivors have to hole up in an abandoned government facility because of acid rains. But little do they know, there's some evil experiment wandering around the hallways. And it's it's an entire just 80s ripoff. But if you haven't seen it, it I highly recommend it. It is so much fun. And, and Eric, I, you really, you need to watch it. Oh, no shit. I would watch that. Yes. <laughs> you, you do need to see that. It's hilarious. All right. So the next thing that I know uh, Eric has been waiting patiently for me to talk about is I have managed to get one episode of Cowboy Bebop watched. Mm. Yes, I, went, I, I, I I was saving it as a surprise, but you were a little impatient earlier. I'm in the sweating. Week, so. I'm nervous. <laughs> I really, really liked it. So this is what I'm going to say about this. Is I am not hugely familiar with anime, so I can't really compare it to much. I've only ever really watched Death Note. And Mushishi, mm-hmm. and then like you know anime films like right with like Ghibli stuff, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I feel like Ghibli is an entirely different kind of animation, anyway. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
But Cowboy Bebop, everything about it was awesome. The score, which I was already kind of familiar with, because Jacob at the Nightlight um, plays that music from the the score at the Nightlight often. Um, And I love that jazzy sound. And just the animation is fantastic. I felt like I was watching like a live action movie at times. And that shows how old. Oh, it's, uh, boy, I'd have to look it up. Uh, uh, at least 10 or 15 years. 10, I'd say. But, but yeah, yeah. And the animation still looks spotless to me. So I, I really, I like it. I like the, I like the, you know, I haven't been introduced to all the characters yet, but. They do such a great job of introducing them along the way. They do backstory episodes, and it's... That's that's what I prefer. I don't like when it's, like, all Exposition City and everybody's explained up front. I like right. the, the telling of the backstories. And, you know, Bounty Hunter stuff is always really interesting. Because you have a level of this guy's not entirely... He, he's sort of an anti-hero. Um, yep. He's, he's got flaws. He's got problems. And I like that kind of stuff. It seems it's very kind of noiry. Oh, it very much is. And I, one of the things I loved about that show is along the way, uh, they I would start an episode and I'd be like, oh, it's going to be uh, this episode or about that person that I don't eh, care about. And about halfway through, I'm like, oh, shit, that's interesting. And by the end, I'm almost crying because that's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And I it turns into one of my favorite episodes. All um, right. Yeah, I'm I'm with I'm I'm hooked. I. I can't wait to watch more. And it's it's only the, the one you gave me, that's all of it, right? That's all of it. That's all there okay. is. It's like Firefly. <laughs> it's right. got its, like, season and a <laughs> half or some shit. And, uh, but it wraps up uh, kind of very well. And uh, okay. there is a movie that took place after the series, so you can watch that as well. It, okay, it's cool. not as good, but it's still, uh, you know, at that point, <laughs> after watching the series, you're good. like, give yeah. me anything. And, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> any Cowboy Bebop, I'll take it. Do you All sit right. through the entire opening score every time? Well, you don't want to watch one episode, but every single I time will, I yeah. have to sit through that acid jazz. There, <laughs> There's also um, several other TV show uh, openings that I sit through, including the one that I, my, my last thing here to mention Go is ahead. that, and I, I will be totally spoiler free because I know Eric, you're like me, you were behind. I did start watching the fifth season of Game of Thrones. I believe I'm six ah, episodes in. I'm six episodes in. Um, I haven't gotten to any of the real shocking, um, riot-inducing episodes yet that everybody was was flaming about uh, on social media. But, um, you know, I really like this show as a whole, but this season is moving really, really slow. I'm (laughs) six episodes in, and I feel like nothing has really happened. And it's really a lot of, like, the, the inner politics of, like, that who wants to take over and who's this and who's that and that's who's forming armies and bar- that's yeah, that's Game of Thrones. Nothing friggin' happens no, until people there's die. Been more yeah. like supernatural stuff and at least like killing. <laughs> yeah, but this, <laughs> the, the, the supernatural stuff always happens like in the last three episodes of the I season. I know it's coming, and and I'm already spoiled on like the major thing, which I'm surprised. It, like, I'm amazed. Eric can be so unspoiled. <laughs> oh yeah, but seriously, those last two episodes, ouch. Ugh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, I still like it. It's still Game of Thrones. It's, it is what it is. But um, I'm still with it, and I'm looking forward to the next season. When and I know it's delayed into the further into spring, but yeah. Well, they're running into a wall because uh, 
Because of George R. R. Martin, yeah, <laughs> has stopped basically. The show has uh, surpassed the books at this point. Yeah, so good. Uh, anything else? No, that's it. I'm I'm anxious to get to uh, some uh, Hannibal talk here soon. Oh yes, that that was so, next. So so I'm skipping over some some stuff that I rewatched. <laughs> Save it for next episode. I only have one. I won't spend a lot of time <laughs> on it. Uh, one more that I want to throw on in this episode, and that is Snow Girl and the Dark Crystal. And I believe this was on the roulette before, uh, before Jess's time. Um, before my time. Before your time. <laughs> can can that be before JT? It is. Like it AD is. or BC. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, this is uh, another one of those... Uh, Asian kung fu fantasy things where you would expect it's going to be extremely heavy CGI uh, zoo warriors. You didn't even watch that, uh, that, yep. that type of thing. Um, inspired by Chinese mythology, this romantic drama follows warrior hero, unpronounceable name as he slays demons across. It just says across to save his people. I assume across the, uh, <laughs> across the city to save his people. Um, very low expectations. I'll be straight up very low when I went into this because I watched so many of these things and most of the time, not good. Uh, this one, I gave four stars out of five. I completely nice. enjoyed wow. this thing. And Eugene, definitely throw, keep this on your queue. If you, if you haven't added it, put it in there. Okay. Um, all right. It's a little long, 118 minutes, but I was never bored. Usually when I see that time, it means second act's going to drag ass and nothing's going to happen. There was more than enough special effects and shit to keep me involved all the way through. And as with most Asian films of this kind of weirdo subgenre, it feels like they made a, they filmed a five hour movie. We're forced to cut it down, cut it down to an hour 18, and it still feels a little too long. And yet, on the other hand, like they didn't explain enough backstory of some of these other characters. Um, but as it stands, they did an excellent job with the with, excuse me, special effects and CGI. The CGI looks, I mean, you're talking about hell versus heaven. So you're seeing heaven, you're seeing hell, you're seeing demons, you're seeing crazy creatures. Obviously, you're looking at it and go, and you know it's CGI, okay? But yeah. it's not like you look at it and go, yeah, but that's shitty CGI. Mm -hmm. It was sweet. I knew I was in for potentially a good film when... Uh, one of the earlier scenes, they were showing these people uh, chopping wheat in a wheat field, and they pan back, and it's a big, wide shot over the whole thing. And then I, uh, you know, people start running, and I start seeing what they're running away from. Yeah, freaking big ass demons running through <laughs> the hay, spreading it and chasing after. It was badass, and I would love to hear what you guys think of this movie. Um, definitely keep it in your queue, uh, because right. this one, not quite gem in the rough, because it's a little draggy, but by the time you get to the third act and, and they reveal all of the plot, I was like, wow, I really care a lot more about the stuff that happened in the second act. I didn't see that coming. So, all right, definitely give that one a watch. I thought it was very good as far as, uh, your fantasy, uh, Asian Kung Fu, Journey to the West, and your, what, what's the other one you guys, what we were talking about last episode? Dragon Inn? No, uh, me and Eugene were arguing about, uh, Journey to the West and... Oh, Dragon Kung Hunt? Kung Fu Hustle. Or Dragon Hunt, Monster Hunt? Monster Hunt, that's what it was. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes. 
So in that vein, definitely give it a a, a, a watch. Uh, Eugene, okay. go ahead. Last round, okay. wrap it up. Wrap it up for us. Hannibal, I'm a little over halfway Ooh. through season one, and it is so good. Eugene's I, a fanable. Oh my goodness, it is. <laughs> wow. Like I can't get enough of this show. I today I watched one, two, three episodes, and that was like two of them were early in the morning, and then another one uh, later in the day. It, it's so good. Uh, at first, I gotta say when I started this show and they introduced Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter, I'm like mm-hmm. I don't know about. He's the bleeding eye guy from Casino Royale and Pusher, and but now he is Hannibal Lecter. Ah, uh, is what did I tell you? Oh yeah, he is totally. That was going to be Lecter. one of my questions. Yeah, I totally buy it, and it seems like they were getting into a weekly episodic feel at the beginning, and now mm-hmm. I, I like where they're going with the series. Uh, a little over halfway through season one with. Okay, now we're on to an arc to where every episode yeah. builds on the last, builds on the last, builds and on the last. And it just, you just wait. It gets absolutely just insanity. Oh, I can't wait. And in fact, I'm like, okay, I've got to rewatch all of the Anthony Hopkins movies now. Because um, now I'm full on Hannibal. Like, I gotta watch everything Hannibal right now. Yeah, when that so. show was on, that it was, it, I decreed that it was the best show on television while it was on, and like when we were talking about it the nightlight before you started watching it. And I said that Matt, you know, Maz Mickelson is now Hannibal for me like that. That's I, And you were like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But you He's see what great. I mean now. And yeah. it's so beautifully shot. It's, oh, it's um, every episode, Everything yeah. about it is art. Like, yes, it is. And I love that. Like when, when meals are prepared and I'm yes. trying to be vague here, but when meals are prepared, I'm like, I feel weird, really weird thinking that looks delicious. <laughs> and he's I'm cooking like, with clay like, and yeah. Oh, wow. But, Eric, you, this is so you. This is right up your alley. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Goodbye, <laughs> Yeah. Trust no, me, you don't, have to, you don't have to sell me on Hannibal shit. That's all right. I'll, I'll watch oh. the hell of it as soon as you uh, let me borrow the Blu-rays. Oh, they're great. Yeah. I, in fact, I got the last two seasons today on Blu-ray, so I have all of them on Blu-ray. And now, now, Jess, what do you think about uh, Hugh Dancy's uh, Will Graham? Like, how do you – what do you think about him versus uh, Edward Furlong and uh, – Edward Furlong. Edward Furlong. <laughs> what are you talking – what? <laughs> wow. Oh, see, Hold see, on. folks. See, folks. It's that – it's that time of the show. The we, uh, yep. Pumpkin, right? Hey, aren't you glad I cut that revenant talk? <laughs> Ooh, wow. So Edward Norton. No, I, I would still like to hear Eugene stumbling around trying to explain that movie. That's all right. <laughs> uh, I, I, Hugh, I prefer Hugh dancing all the way. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about the original uh, Manhunter? As far as man, I see. I look at Manhunter as to be like the most separate out of everything. Yeah, even the too. show, even the show is still sort of like you can definitely say that it's like sort of related to the movies in a way. Yeah. But yeah. It, Manhunter feels like such its own entity that I can't really, I don't know, I don't, I can't really compare on that one. Yeah. Well, and Hannibal but, Lecter, but I like Hugh Dancy a lot. I think Hugh Dancy, and he he gets when he really starts to like get to be at his peak Will Graham ness. 
it, it it's it's a good roller coaster. I freaking love Manhunter. I have the Anchor Bay double yeah. disc edition, special edition numbered Ooh, whatever. Nice. It's badass. I love that movie. And I love Brian Cox. Yeah, excellent uh, <laughs> Hannibal. Now I haven't seen Manhunter in many many years, but if I remember correctly. Hannibal Lecter does not figure into that movie near like he does no, not really. in Sounds of the Lambs and okay. no, but he's or still Red, Dra- Red Dragon. Yeah, he's still in there a, a fair amount. Well, Red Dragon's a remake of Manhunter, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. He still figures in there a fair amount, but it's just not to the level of Silence of the Lambs. He's more of a behind-the-scenes kind of related rather than. And you really have to delete the Anthony Hopkins version to accept Brian Cox. And you got to remember, he was the first to do it. So Anthony yeah. Hopkins had to take a little inspiration from him. Yeah. Granted, yeah. he did it 10 times better, but, you know, eh, yeah. respect where respect is due. Yeah. But I got to say, Lawrence Fishburne, Jillian Anderson. Oh, man, Jillian in- Anderson is awesome. And she gets a bigger part as the seasons go on. I'm, I was hoping so, because every time yeah. she's on screen, I'm like, ah, oh, she's so good in this. I want more of her. Uh, it's great. I can't it, now. I, I have a question. Does season mm-hmm. two and season three keep on with the ongoing, like every episode builds on the last, or do we go back to episodic type things where there's? And, oh no, you're you're going in a steady forward motion. Okay, good, now. The, good. The, because... the story is in motion. The the, okay. the train is going to start picking up speed as okay. you go further and further. Because that was that concerned me a bit in the beginning. I liked the fact that I mean, like there's that. still going to be like some here and there, but okay. it's mostly like you're 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 going one way now. Good, good. I could totally buy a uh, Mads Mikkelsen like feature length movie version of uh, yeah. another Hannibal movie. So Eric, you'll love it. Oh, anyway. as long as Julianne Moore isn't it, I'm I'm totally game. I love Hannah. I love that movie as well, but she is a black eye on it. Uh, um, Jess, how would you compare Hannibal to Dexter? I love Han. Nope, Hannibal. Dexter doesn't even let hold a candle. Wow, wow, really? Even just the first but see, season? this is the f- no. See, Hannibal to me is all of it together is just such a masterpiece. Okay. And then it all just felt, fits so well together. And for me, Dexter really, like, I was not a fan of the last season, or really the second to last season. So it sort of fell apart for me. Dexter was very much like each season was his own kind of thing. So I, I understand what you're saying, like, if, if Hannibal has its own arc over multiple seasons. Right. Okay. Okay. So, I'm just trying and, to get a feel as a fellow yeah. Dexter fan. <laughs> Even talking about this makes me want to watch another episode when we're done podcasting, but I'm like, you know, I, just, I, I, cause my, like, obsess, my like obsessive I based- compulsive, I'm like, <laughs> I gotta put it aside. I can't keep watching. Oh, you will. Yeah. Come on. And continuing on in this theme, as I, I, I scroll here on the internet, the Scream Factory dropped their Manhunters Collector's Edition for uh, May. Ooh. And it looks awesome. Yeah. I got my Anchor Bay DVD. I'm good with my scratchy 80s looking shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Uh, G- uh, Eugene, anything else you want to throw in there? You know, another uh, review? There, there is other reviews, but I should, I'll, I'll just hold off. Are it's you not, sure? It's not enough time. I mean, unless you really want to hear my review of Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals nope. and what have you, what have you done to Solange? Uh, well, I'll, you... I'll save my Ita- Italian horror for next episode. Okay. 
Well, we'll get around to it. <laughs> All uh, right. Jess, anything you want to add? Uh, plugs and tees, Jess. Are we in plugs and tees? Yep. Oh, okay. Um, well, as always, I'd like to plug the Nightlight Cinema in downtown Akron. Um, we are an independent art house cinema. We show independent movies, foreign movies, and most recently, we are trying to get revivals up off the ground. So if you haven't yet, please like our Facebook page. Also, like our Friends of the Nightlight and Ladies of the Nightlight Facebook pages. We will be running separate Tilt accounts um, to get some really awesome classic movies in there. And it only happens if you guys play a part. Um, as far as teases go, I'm just really looking forward to Eric getting, uh, The Exorcist 3 and Don't Look Now, but, but mostly The Exorcist 3 because they're in Eugene's, uh, mailbox at work and should be delivered to you post haste. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, plugs and teases for me. I have Exorcist 3 and Don't Look Now. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you just copied what I said. No, yeah. I totally said what you copied. Um, <laughs> Sunny Boy. I also have Sunny Boy on my shelf. I'm watching that one. Ah, uh, um, yes. Yes. That's it. That's my whole next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's all I have. Eugene. Hannibal, Hannibal, Hannibal. That's <laughs> No way. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be plowing through seasons two, two and, and three, three and four and five. And, and no, it's just three, just three seasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I actually I'm I'm hoping to uh to get the Pumpkinhead Scream Factory release on Blu ray here soon and it's, watch it's it and nice. review it. Yeah. I haven't seen that in years. Uh so I'm looking forward it, to it. It played that. it this year this past year's Twelve Hours of Terror and that movie just always makes me feel like I need a shower after because it's so dusty. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah, great. it's just I remember dusty. I remember in that movie there was like there's Guy, there's people riding jerk bikes, right? And then, yeah, okay, yeah, and, yeah. and then Lance Henriksen and they accidentally and kill Lance Henriksen's son, and then Lance yep. Henriksen summons the pumpkin head to kill to take revenge. Yes. <laughs> you caught me off guard with that. I thought you were gonna say, I need to take a shower because it's so crazy and dark no, and disturbing. And you're like, no, there's just a hell of a lot of dust. No, it's just like these people don't shower, like, they, they, there's no shower to be seen, and everybody's sweating, and it's like the fucking dust bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we need to wrap this up. It's getting on in time. Uh, yes, yes. As always, you can get a hold of us at MovieFreaksPod at Yahoo.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, MovieFreaksPod. Just, you can find us there. CreatureStoleMyTwinkie.wordpress. We are everywhere. everywhere. That's right. Uh, that's going to be it for this episode. I'm Eric Warner. I'm Eugene Weaver. I'm Jess Hicks. Bye. Hey, come on, Eugene. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so soft and dulcet tones. I love it. <laughs> or actually, thanks. That was my Tom Hardy version. That's what you should have done. You should have just gone. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel. Okay, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>